Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. Just wanted to give you a quick heads up that today's episode is available in video form over on youtube.com slash ideas for us. There you can find the visuals that go along with our guest speaker's presentation. YouTube.com slash ideas for us. All right, thanks. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the official Ideas for Us podcast. Join us on a journey to discover solutions to Earth's most pressing environmental issues by learning from experts and professionals advancing our sustainable future. On today's episode, we sit down with Zachary Maramon, a Florida native and founder of Agrarian Land and Pond, an invasive vegetation management business that he created from the same conversations that started Ideas for Us at the University of Central Florida a decade ago. You can email us at contact.ideasforus.org with your comments, feedback, and questions. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Support this podcast and our environmental action projects by donating or becoming a member at ideasforus.org slash memberships. Thanks. Hope you enjoy the show. everyone. This is Lee Perry, the Chief Operations Officer of Ideas for Us. I personally am very, very, very into water projects. Um, as you know, Ideas for Us focuses on eco-action projects in energy, water, food, waste, and ecology. But living here in Orlando, Florida, I realized that we have a huge water crisis on our hands. There's so many things that are detrimental to our natural springs and major water bodies all throughout the state. And so today I am welcoming my friend, Zach Miramon, who is the owner and president of Agrarian Land and Pond. And this is a service that provides uh, pond, lake, and wetland management in Central Florida. So Zach, go ahead and talk a little bit about your organization. Hey, Lee. Thank you for having me today. Um, I also want to thank you just for hosting these podcasts, because I know you guys keep finding more and more avenues to connect to the world. And, and this is just a really nice one and uh, really perfect for the time uh, that, we're, that we're in at the moment. So thanks for uh, putting these on. I'm honored to be here for this. So um, as you said, uh, my name is Zachary Maramon. Um, I'm the owner, operator, and founder of Agrarian Land and Pond. We are a small business here in Central Florida. Started back in 2010. And it actually started as an idea that I had when Ideas was just a fledgling collegiate group uh, at the University of Central Florida. So I was able to take this and turn it into a, an actual successful business. Um, and uh, basically what the kind of work we do is, is in uh, lakes, ponds, and wetlands. We provide ecological services such as taking out and identifying nuisance and invasive plants planting in the ones that belong there, the native plants we want to see, um, and, and a lot of other uh, technological aspects of maintaining uh, the pond. So anything to do with fresh water systems, I can basically help out with. Um, so what I'd like to do today, though, is uh, I've got a couple of things on the list here. I, wanna, I wanted to start by just kind of uh, going over how I even got uh, started in this and where this, this idea even came from. So basically, when, when Ideas was just starting out, and it was just at UCF, we, we were just going around picking up trash. We, you know, we had these action events that were basically networking events 
uh, as well. And we would go around picking up trash from the beach, from forests, from around the lake. And during that time, you'd get to, to talk to other people, like-minded and, and maybe not, but just to, to express your ideas and talk about ideas for environmental solutions. So my idea ended up spawning from this. We, uh, I ended up becoming the coordinator for the uh, ecosystem facilitation events. And that's a, it's a little bit of a mouthful, but I'll explain that in just a little bit. But what we started doing was, you know, I, I recognized that we, we had an issue with the management or the management of these retention ponds, these stormwater retention ponds. So first we got in there and we started cleaning them up. We were removing the algae, trying to get the algae out because the algae had absorbed some nutrients that came off of the landscape and the algae was growing and it made it an eyesore as well as potentially um, dangerous. So we wanted to prevent that from getting to the dangerous area. We started cleaning it up. And we started introducing the native plants that you would normally find. Uh, and what we found was that we were able to take something that was kind of a pit, an, an eyesore, and we turned it into something beautiful. So just to give that little, a little bit of background on, um, on how these work or what, what a stormwater pond is, it starts off with whenever we develop something, we have to account for the water, the, the water that will drain from the property that we developed on. And it can contain all sorts of different pollution, uh, including nutrients from landscape fertilizers, which then can promote algae blooms. So when they use these systems, which for decades, decades, and, and even still now are used preferentially uh, for flood control mostly, but also for pollution abatement uh, from development. And they kind of dig these holes in the ground and, and they do work really well if they're maintained properly. But the system doesn't, it doesn't reflect the natural lake ecosystems that they're designed to mimic. So it doesn't, it doesn't really seem to make sense, or at least it didn't in our minds. And that's what kind of got us to this point. But we took a pond that was, it was just bare. We started cleaning it up and we got something just beautiful out of it. You know, you can see that, that on, that on the other side there. And that just, it was just so amazing, but that was just the start, of course. Even even to get into this, like, what does it matter? Why? You know, like, you could put plants in the water and that'd be great. We all want to see some plants, but what does it really matter? For me, <clears throat> it started when I witnessed uh, basically improper maintenance. I saw um, the, the current contractor we had in a condo community I was living in. They were treating the algae and it would come back within within a week. They would treat the algae, it would come back, treat it, come back. One day I came home and there were a bunch of dead fish in the pond. I have no idea why. The, the contractors doing the job didn't seem like it made sense until I learned so much more about how this worked. I just, I realized that the way things were going on around me um, wasn't something that I was willing to live with. So this business became something that I was uh, wanting to live for. Um, it's, it, it is, so important that we consider the way we develop and what we use in our development when it pertains to how it affects the the overall environment right so when you have um a lot of development going on and you break up habitats you, you leave the animals without a place to go so if we just take these ponds and we don't even treat them like they're natural systems, it's not going to matter to the wildlife that we're missing a home that was once there. They're still going to come. 
So this this problem, you know, it's it's bigger than just us. It's everything. Water is everything. Water is everything for everybody, whether you be a plant, animal, or person. It connects us all. So this this work isn't just about you know making something pretty. That's that's just the side benefit. This is about so much more. Um, the connectivity of us all through water resources. The industry is not new. It's, it, aquatic plant management is probably close to 100 years old now. Um, but any changes seem to be just kind of limited. It, it seems like there hasn't been much of an advancement um, in how we, we build or how we maintain these systems. Um, but there are a couple of things that I think I'd like to point out right now, uh, either some, some issues and then some ways that I think uh, everybody can help. Um, first, an issue I see in the industry is responsibility. I see that you have sometimes a bunch of people living around a lake and the people that live on the lake may have to pay to maintain that lake, to keep it clean, to whatever the situation might be. If they're doing that, but somebody across the street from, from one of those lakefront homeowners um, also contributes pollution to that lake, how come that other person isn't responsible for paying? It, it, it seems like an easy concept. It seems like everybody would have to pay. Wouldn't that make sense? If you contribute pollution to a lake that you all pay, but I'm not seeing that. Um, I'm seeing over and over now, it's more older developments. It's not usually like apartment complexes, usually something like that small and contained. They're usually subdivisions, single family homes um, where I'm seeing this. And I, I, don't, I just don't get it. Um, that's something I, I really wish uh, regulations would start to, uh, or we could get some government regulations to focus on. But if you do want to bring attention to this, so it's not just me talking, um, there is ways that, you, that everybody else can contribute. And that's if you can join either a friends of organization, which is basically a special interest group uh, that will then allow people to give a voice to a water body. For example, the friends of the Wakaiba River. So it's a, these are nonprofit organizations that essentially uh, bring together all stakeholders. As I said earlier, everybody's a stakeholder. Everybody uses water. Um, and it, it allows you to then give your inputs. This is super important for large lakes, but it's also important in just in an apartment complex or in a condo community or, or some other neighborhood with a, a homeowners association where they might not have, say, a lake committee. So this is another way you can get involved. Start a lake committee if there isn't one already. And you can bring in the people from the community that, that have opinions or, or thoughts or, or just bring in, you know, a, uh, the, the general, you know, everybody that, that matters or that has a say in, in the matters that go on in your neighborhood. Now, <laughs> the, the policies that, again, that I, that I think that, that we need to approve on um, not only include the responsibility, but the the ultimate guidance that we give in the permitting. So right now, it's kind of a mixed bag. Sometimes you have a pond that was permitted with plants. Sometimes you don't. Um, sometimes you have ordinances that require literally no plants in the city. You cannot have any plants in the pond. And, and the rationale for this is if it, the pond were to be filled up with plants or sediments, but plants, specifically cattail, Cattail is one of the known problematic plants that will just completely fill up a pond and then you'll have to pay a lot of money, a lot more than it costs to just maintain the pond to have it, the material removed 
And that's all just so you can protect the flood control capacity. You need to be able to hold a certain amount of water uh, in these ponds. And that's, that's the main priority when it comes to uh, how we manage these systems. I would like to see more enforcement of the plantings. Like I, I would like to see that when, when it is permitted, I, I would like to see that these are enforced. Um, and I'd like to see maybe maybe some, some work to, to review some of these permits. And if they didn't have plants, maybe we can start putting plants. Just have some coordinated effort um, in how they're managed. Just remember that um, no matter what, everybody's got to agree on it. Um, if you don't have an agreement between anybody who is a stakeholder, you can end up with uh, some plan that you had just, just going awry. So you could have somebody wanting to put plants in the pond, they go put the plants in the pond, but somebody doesn't like the plants. Then now they may go pull them out. And, and, and it's been all for naught. Um, true sustainability requires that everybody get involved and, and, and come up with a, with a plan uh, together. So I would definitely like to see that coordination in, in lay committees and friends of organizations. Some other issues, though, that come up with that. You, you have a resistance when certain people are afraid of things, like they might be afraid of snakes. They might think, well, if we have a lot of vegetation, we're going to end up with some snakes we don't like. This is where education comes into play. There's a lot of good snakes out there, a lot of snakes that are helpful in, in keeping uh, some other nuisance or, uh, animals in check. There's also fears of, of, of the maintenance aspect of it, right? Like if you have a bunch of plants around and then, the, and then vines just grow all over everything, it's just a mess and nobody's going to like it. And if nobody likes the way it looks, it's not going to stay. So no matter what you do to whenever some kind of plan is implemented, the maintenance aspect of it must be considered. You, you must have a plan for maintaining whatever changes you make. <clears throat> um, another question I get a lot is, what are the best plants? What's the best one? Which, and I, I'd rather hear what are the best plants. I'd rather hear which, which grouping is the best than I would which one is the best because there, there is no good solution in just planting one plant. Um, studies have shown that pollution removal is improved better than having one single plant alone. So just having, they, had, they did studies with just single plants and then put them together and have seen that you had a better pollution removal when they were mixed. So already we know that that's good, but there's other reasons uh, as well as you don't wanna just use one plant. Um, for example, if there's a disease, that were to come across and it would kill just a monoculture of one single type of plant. So that, that's not gonna be helpful. Um, it's definitely the best method is to do a mixed, mixed planting. But it gets even more uh, complicated than that, right? So just like in, um, on, the plant, on Earth, we, we have different ecotypes everywhere. You have deserts, you have prairies, you have forests. Well, in a lake, these sections actually come from the dry land going into the water. So if you look on this on the slide here, you start off with the, the vegetation on land. So we call that the riparian area. So those can be trees, it can be a mixture of trees uh, and, and smaller uh, shrubs and, and other uh, grasses, tall grasses that kind of start on that are usually more drought tolerant uh, as well as flood tolerant because conditions on that part of the lake, they, they're complicated. As you go into the pond, this is the transition area. So you're gonna have a variety of smaller plants 
right around the edge of the pond. And this is generally considered the most biologically active area of the pond as well. As you go a little deeper, you're gonna find some taller plants about, that, that grow about four or five feet tall. Uh, these are the plants that are going to be half submerged in the water. So over in the uh, image here, you, you see some of these plants over here. Then you go deeper. You go deeper, you've got your, your submerged plants, and sometimes you even have floating plants. So wide, wide variety out here. It's important to have different plants in these different locations to, because they do serve different functions. Um, I do. I did mention it earlier. I want to say it again. I don't recommend cattail. Uh, over and over, cattails take up a pond. They completely take it up. Um, small ponds, anyway, not not large lakes or anything. But a small pond can be taken up, as well as a cattail will grow over several different of these areas. So a cattail can go all the way up on the land, and it can go all the way down to the deep part. That is a lot of different plants that are going to be. Um, that will not have a location to grow. The tall cattails will shade them all out. It, wouldn't, it does go against my method of what I was suggesting earlier, how you get better pollution removal with, uh, with multiple species. But also cattails just have a low wildlife value in terms of habitat. Uh, they really only support about three different birds species. There's just not a lot out of it. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to go into every plant, but I just want to make sure we cover that one. Um, but there are others. There are others um, that I would recommend if you go to the University of Florida's, uh, I got the website down there at the bottom of the screen. So it's plants.ifas.ufl.edu. You can find a list of uh, native and non-native aquatic plants. It's a really, really good source. So, but here I have a couple of examples. So I've got the, some of these are, are more dry, uh, more on the land area. And these, are, these include the golden canna and the blue flag iris. Now, I wanted to showcase these two for an important reason. They are, each one of them is better at a different time of year. So the canna is not going to do so good in the winter. The iris will and vice versa. That's important. It's going to look better. You're going to have plants still growing in the different seasons. It's, it's, this is a good mix. So I'm not going to give you every plant, but this is a great mix to have. Now, as you go deeper, some other, another, some more uh, that we like to mix, if you will, uh, will be the pickerel wheat and the thalia, or firefly sometimes it's also called. Um, these are really tall plants. The firefly specifically, you see that, you see that image right there with the, uh, with the person standing next to that firefly. You plant this thing on land, it's not going to look as good. So your aesthetics would be messed up. People aren't going to like it. Again, it comes into to the, the truly sustainable approach of making sure it looks good and is accepted as well as functions um, uh, for, for, the, for what your, your needs are. Um, but that's just a recommendation. There's a, there's a wide variety uh, more that, we can, that you can get into. Um, but that pretty much wraps up kind of the, the items I wanted to go over with you today. Um, I do want to thank you all uh, for watching this presentation. Um, we do uh, offer services here in Orlando and, and in the greater central Florida area. So feel free to check out our website um, and give us a call if you, you have any issues or any needs for your stormwater ponds or lakes or wetlands. So. 
I do have one question. Thank you so yeah. much for this presentation. It was literally perfect. Um, I'm curious if you could think in the hypothetical with all the water quality issues that we have right now, do you think it's possible if we utilize this form of um, multimodal control of um, offsetting our pollution and all of the nitrogen that's in our waterways and et cetera, if we use this method across all the ponds and all the retention ponds and all the water bodies in Florida, do you think it could completely alter the water quality issues that we're having at this time? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when you're using, uh, I think that the system you're, you're referring to uh, incorporates uh, the variety of animals, plants uh, and, and, uh, that are all involved in cleaning the water. Um, I absolutely think they're going to make a big impact. Um, I, you know, I didn't get into much detail in it earlier uh, in the screen, but uh, the method that we employed was ecosystem facilitation. So that's just promoting the natural mechanisms of, of a pond that would no, you would normally find. So it, I, I don't know that you're going to get it all because it, it's not so simple. Like, let's just say you have incoming nutrient pollution at, at 100%. But it's not combined. It's not all dissolved in the water. Some of it is organic. Some of and some of it's dissolved. <clears throat> so there's transitions that have to happen, and uh, the transitions are usually done by microorganisms and and some macro. So you have your large organisms and your smaller ones, little bacteria, as well as worms and snails that are going to break down organic matter. Um, the problem is, is, is retention time. Um, that's something that was looked into is, is increasing the amount of time that the water stays in the pond so that the biology can have the effect that we want to remove nutrient pollution. Unfortunately, just plants alone would definitely not do it. Um, I participated in some of the first academic studies here in Florida on floating treatment islands or, or wetlands, which are just floating platforms with vegetation we, we were using to try to absorb the nutrient pollution. But we only got about 10% out of the incoming nutrients. That's still left 90% that, that could go anywhere. Now it could go in the soil, it could stay in the water, or it could flush out. Um, that, I don't think you're going to, I think assuming a, a getting to the 100% with just what we do in the pond it may not be enough. I think there, there will need to be more done for pretreatment. So what's what's coming into the pond may need more pretreatment. And that could be the way that we we designed the landscapes mm -hmm. uh, before that water comes in. I think that would that would make a big uh, big enhancement. Mm -hmm. I don't know that about hundred percent, but I think we could get a, we could get a lot further than we are right now by incorporating these actual the actual ecological um, methods that are that actually happen in these ponds, the things that we dedicate or that we uh, not dedicate but that we that we allocate, I guess. <laughs> it's not the word either. I guess what I want to know too is the fact that, um, you know, it sounds like what you're trying to say is that before we even consider utilizing these ecological uh, treatments on our water bodies, what we really need to do is stop people from utilizing fertilizers and pesticides on their lawns, get frequent um, 
uh, septic tank checks to make sure that there's no leaking that's taking place that's going into our water bodies and basically any runoff pollution from any roadways all need to be taken into consideration so that we can hold these water bodies that are especially permitted with having uh, plantings mandated within their, their uh, zone that we need to hold them accountable and make sure that there actually is um, accountability for the proper management of these water bodies. Absolutely, you you said it. You you said it right there. Because <clears throat> it's not. It's once that stuff gets in the pond, it it's um there there's, there may not be enough time for the ecological methods that that to clean it all. So especially if you got a lot of rain, a lot of rain coming in, it's just gonna it's, you're gonna it's gonna push out that first layer. So time is important. Timing is important. Um, maybe main you know that it just just. Improving the ecological aspects plus improving the retention time, I think we might have it. That's perfect. Well, that's it, and um, I'm so grateful. <laughs> Thank so, you. So grateful. No, I'm, I'm glad to, to be here, and I <clears throat> really am appreciate this. Yay! Thanks for listening to the official Ideas for Us podcast. Learn more about our environmental action projects by visiting ideasforus.org and stay in the loop by subscribing to our monthly newsletter. Support this podcast and our environmental action projects by donating or becoming an individual or CSR member today at ideasforus.org memberships. This episode has been made possible by all our valued members. Together, we are advancing environmental action worldwide. Please share this podcast with your friends and loved ones and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed it. In the meantime, stay tuned to hear what amazing guests we'll be featuring in future episodes. We'll see you next time on the official Ideas For Us podcast. <laughs>